Like, this is probably a better setup anyway. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. this is our incentive for we've got to redo this whole podcast studio down here mm-hmm. so that I have a table. <laughs> I need, like, a better table. You know, it's almost like at one point I wanted us to be at a big table. I don't want to hear your sass today. I'm sorry only one of us has foresight. We just talked today about how I can't see. Not that kind of <laughs> sight. I do have foresight. I just did not have it for that. Because yeah. at the time, all I wanted was to be able to record onto a Zoom. You didn't think a podcast was going to make it. I didn't know if we were going to change it. Which we did kind of. We've changed it a lot. But yeah. I didn't know what it was going to look like. Because I also, like, as much as I love the look of these chairs, yeah, I don't love sitting in this chair. But maybe that's because I don't have a table. Table, And I'm balancing my computer. <laughs> You're balancing your computer on your knee. You're also sitting cross-legged. Okay, so that's a lot of side-eye. I think people can hear that side eye. <laughs> and probably because they know that I can't sit in a chair correctly. Oh, my God. <laughs> why do I wheeze so much when I laugh? I don't know. And why do I have so much vocal fry today? Mm. Like, exceptionally bad today. I mean, that's like your fourth cup of coffee, I'm pretty sure. That is only my... Okay, yeah, it's my fourth cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we didn't like the candle. I just want to play with fire. Jeremy chose violence today, evidently. <laughs> I, cho- I choose violence every day. I posted something to my Instagram story the other day, but I know that one of my friends doesn't have Instagram, so I sent it to him. And he was like, uh, something about, like, I hope this is not on social media. And guess what? It was definitely on social media. <laughs> Because I know no boundaries. You really don't. I really don't. I don't know what that is. What is a boundary? A boundary is something between two states. Is that a thing? That's a border. Oh, hell. Uh, Oh, my God. I'm looking at my unfinished stuff down here. Yeah. Because I haven't finished that cup. Yeah. And my ADHD is like, oh, I need to do that right now. (laughs) No, not right now. You can do that later. I need to be on some stronger meds. (laughs) Because I'm bouncing around. (laughs) Like, I don't know where I am. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, welcome back. We changed too many things. We didn't change too many things. Okay, we're not recording directly onto the Zoom anymore. We're recording onto my computer, so I'm struggling. Okay, we changed one thing. That was enough for me. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess, yeah. Welcome Welcome back. back. Season three. Season three. I love that we do it as seasons as if they're semesters. Yes. (laughs) Which is a very college thing to do. It's a very college thing. It seems appropriate. (laughs) And plus, I just, you know, sometimes I just want to scream. Does that make this our sophomore year? Yeah, this is our sophomore year. If we keep going past four years, we'll be on a victory lap. (laughs) Graduate school. (laughs) We'll just go to grad school. We'll only do stories from graduate schools. (laughs) Dude, we cannot get that specific. We cannot get that specific. 
I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that is the death of a podcast. Well, that's okay, because I already want to do a high school story at some point this season. I mean, so. it's still a campus. Right. Like, I don't think it's so outside of the, the norm. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of colleges started out having high schools on their campus, so I don't see why that is that far away from reality. Yeah, well, I mean, let's talk about reality and talk about what we're talking about. I thought you were going to say, let's talk about reality, then let's talk about colleges. Yeah. They're the same thing. (laughs) Are they? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Yeah, I guess guess colleges are in the simulation, too. Dude, you still live on a college campus. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Sort of. But come on, you can't tell me that it's not real life. But is anything real life? Oh, well, that's a whole other issue that I can't get into right now. We are still in a global pandemic. We started this in a global pandemic, and we are still there. (laughs) At least we're starting this season earlier than, like, October. Yeah, we're starting at the very advent of spooky season. Yeah, which is very nice. Yeah. Very nice. I want to clean up the yard so we can put stuff out there. Oh, my gosh. I don't know why. I've never been into Halloween like that. I helped Jeremy decorate his house for Halloween one time. Last year. And he becomes like... I like it. I want pumpkins out there, and I want like fall stuff, and and, and, and weird stuff. Like I want, I kind of want to put some kind of pumpkin thing over there where there used to be a tree in the front yard where I've planted daylilies. Yeah. I want there to be something right there. You want the giant pumpkin from Halloween Town. Oh. <gasps> That's what you want. Oh, that would be so cool. But it wouldn't fit there. I'd have to put it on the other side. Yeah. Or just, you know, not a giant pumpkin. But I want weird stuff. I want to be weird. I don't know. Oh, huh. <laughs> mission accomplished. This is the thing. Since we finished recording the last season, right? Yeah. I think I've gotten considerably weirder. Yeah. I think that I've just like broken everything down and just gotten so weird. Yeah. Also known as going through it, but <laughs> aren't we all? <laughs> it's a global pandemic. Listen, I'm trying to finish my MFA and then maybe I'll calm down, but I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. So the end of this season will coincide with the end of your MFA. I will have a grad, my, like not a graduate degree. I already have one of those. I will have my terminal degree. Ugh. That sounds very dark. Can y'all tell like that way? What a terminal degree? A terminal degree. That's what they're called. I know, but this is how I have to fight for people to pay me because they're like, Ugh, you don't have a PhD. <laughs> Gross. This is the thing. Like, I know we work in separate parts of university life, but. <laughs> Let's be real. I came from your side first. Yes, but my side views PhDs very differently because we have the issue of people getting their PhD way too early and not oh, yeah. having the experience to back it up. Yeah, because and that's why your field needs the EDD because it's a practitioner-based thing and you are in a practitioner field. Yeah, but it's just people getting their terminal degree too Really, early. really, really early like, with there are no experience. Leave grad school and go get the terminal degree, which is great for them. Like if that is your... If you can, if that and is it your makes path, sense, and that makes sense for you, great. But still, understand that even with that, you, you don't have the experience. Ex- yeah, you need the work experience as well. Yep, and that's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm. I came out of the the other world, so I get it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway, now that we've had that discussion, we could probably have a whole other spinoff co- podcast about just higher ed and. Ugh. But I I have those conversations on the daily basis. So. Yeah. Because, <laughs> what was I doing before I got here? 
Oh, I didn't. Don't even think I told you while I was sitting over there on my computer. No. I was trying to plan the first meeting of our undergraduate programs committee. I want to vomit. I'm the chair of the committee. I am 28 years old. I am a second year faculty member, and I am the chair of a committee that decides whether or not something is okay to go on. That from the undergraduate programs that is not okay. I don't know anything. I don't know stuff. But you're in touch with the youth and what they want. I think that's what they think. I think that's what people <laughs> above me think. They think I'm smarter than I am, and they think, like, mm, he's, like, cool, and he vibes with the students, and he, like, like sometimes he cusses in class. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Do they think you are Robin Williams from the Dead Poets Society? I think they do. <laughs> I really think are they do Are you going to jump sometimes. up on a desk? I usually just sit on a desk. I don't sit in a chair in class. Of course you don't. You don't know how to sit in chairs. I don't. I'm literally sitting cross-legged in a wing-back chair. Oh my gosh. If I had a footstool, it would be different, but I don't. If I had a table, it would be different, but I don't. I mean, there's a footstool over there somewhere. It's right over there. It's full. It is full of vinyl for a cricket. Yeah. You can still put your feet on it. No, I can't because I never could get the vinyl to go back in the way you had it because you had everything so tightly rolled in there. Because I'm organized. Because you're a Virgo. And? I'm a Taurus. Yep, full of BS. Um, <laughs> do you want to tell people what the podcast is again, or do we just like yeah. assume that they have listened to the first two seasons? So, in case you haven't listened to the first two seasons and haven't turned it off yet, because you're like, what in the world is <laughs> Yeah, what is this? What is this chaos? <laughs> um, so, welcome to Creepy Campus. Um, so, I'm Doug Tate. I'm Jeremy Cloyd. <laughs> and we sit around and talk about ghost stories, urban legends, murders, creep- murders, true crime, creepy things that happen on college and university campuses across the country and around the world. We've gone international. We've yeah. studied abroad. Yeah. I hate you for that. <laughs> um, but so every week we both pick a school, pick a story, um, and just kind of share these weird experiences because college campuses are weird, right? They have these traditions, they have these legends. Every school has some form of the same legend i think yeah we did we did an episode where i talked about urban legends yeah and i think it's you know i always think about like you know i work at western kentucky the white squirrel is a big thing for us but we're not the only school where the white squirrel is a thing no and there's something there there was something last season that we talked about with Lindsay wilson that was like i I thought it was very Lindsay wilson but it's not and i don't remember what it was Oh, it's know. not the white squirrel thing. We have squirrels. Don't get me wrong. We have squirrels. And there's some of them that run around. They don't have tails. And I call them demon squirrels. But so, but we also talk about the weird things that only happen in very specific instances on very specific campuses. Oh, yeah. So, um, but that is who we are and what we do. Um, ta-da. Ta-da. Um, so I guess we'll dive in. And you want to go first? Sure. I'll go first. Hold on. Let me put my coffee back on this bookshelf. <laughs> Okay, we will redo the studio. <laughs> hint taken. That really wasn't even a hint. That was just a, I wasn't finished with my coffee yet. <laughs> okay, so this week, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do what I traditionally do, and I'm going to go to the South. <laughs> I tend to go to colleges in the South a lot. You do. Um, I like them. I think they've got some interesting stories. But I'm going to the University of Tennessee uh, but what I grew up calling the University of Tennessee Knoxville, because it is the... Officially, it is University of Tennessee yes. Knoxville. 
Um, but growing up in Tennessee, right? It's just UT. Yeah, it's just UT. Um, it is the main campus. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the reason I call it UTK all the time is that I auditioned for grad school there once, and mm-hmm. they refer to themselves as UTK. Yeah. Like even the professors there refer to themselves as UTK. So, you know, it's just a thing. So um, we're going to talk about the hill. Oh, Rocky Top. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> you have to remember, I grew up in Tennessee. We learned that in elementary school. We did not. I grew up in Kentucky. Like, Even though it was basically Tennessee, it was not Tennessee. Like I don't know if in Kentucky you learned like my old Kentucky home. Of or... course we did. Yeah. Well, the Tennessee Waltz doesn't have words to it, so <laughs> you learn Rocky Top instead. Okay. Well, let's talk really quick. And um, I don't know. Are you still? Are you going to put like if I share the story with you, our sources online? Yes. Okay. Because I just put links to all the things that I used. Okay. Cool. Um, so I'm not going to put that at the top, but so the university of Tennessee or university of Tennessee, Knoxville or UT Knoxville or UTK or UT, those are all of the names that I found it referred to as is a public land grant. Let's get back to that word again. Uh, research university in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, founded in 1794, two years before Tennessee became the 16th state. It is the flagship campus of the university of Tennessee system. On September 10th, or I keep wanting to say 1974. On September 10th, 1794, two years before Tennessee became a state, and at a meeting of the legislature of the Southwest Territory at Knoxville, Blount College was established with a charter. Uh, The new all-male non-sectarian institution struggled for about 13 years with a small student body and faculty, and in 1807, the school was rechartered as East Tennessee College, which I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was ever called East Tennessee College. Um, as a condition of receiving the proceeds from the settlement devised a, in the compact of 1806. That was, they had to rename it. Um, when Samuel Carrick, its first president and only faculty member, died in 1809, the school was temporarily closed until 1820. So uh, it reopened, began experiencing a bunch of growing pains, hence where we're headed with this. So Thomas Jefferson had previously recommended that the college leave its confining single building in the city. It was like downtown on State Street, I believe. And they they wanted it to relocate to a place where it could spread out. In the summer of 1826, the trustees explored Barbara Hill, known today simply as The Hill, as a potential site and relocated there by 1828. Um in 1840, the college was elevated to East Tennessee University. Tennessee was a member of the Confederacy in 1862, which, and this is something that if you've listened to other episodes of this, you'll mm-hmm. get. Um, it was a member of the Confeder- Confederacy in 1862 when the Morrill Act was passed, uh, which is what provided endowment funds for the sale of federal land to state agricultural colleges, thus granting land-grant institutions. Um, so, on February 28, 1867, Congress passed a special act making the state of Tennessee eligible to participate in the Morrill Act of 1862 program. Weird. Yeah, it was a... I, I'm trying to call back to my history of higher ed thing. <laughs> that was a whole deal. Was um, There was it's basically incentives for former Confederate states to... Be unionized again? Be unionized and re-pledge loyalty to the union. Oh, that's kind of smart, So it was a part of all these other incentives and all these things that happened as part of Reconstruction. Oh, all right. Well, 
In January of 1869, ETU was designated as Tennessee's recipient of the land-grant designation and funds. East Tennessee University was renamed the University of Tennessee in 1879 by the state legislature. So let's talk a little bit more about the Hill here, because it's um, something that doesn't necessarily make sense until you think about it in these contexts. So the Hill is a colloquial name for the location of various academic buildings on the University of Tennessee Knoxville's campus. It comprises the oldest part of the university and is located at the eastern side of the campus. There are two concentric roads around the hill, and you're going to really think this sounds similar to Western Kentucky University, because it is. It's a very standard university style. Mm -hmm. Um, But two concentric roads around the hill, university buildings ring both of those routes with Ayers Hall located at the apex. So like looking down in front of everything. And if you look down from Ayers Hall, there's a sweeping lawn in front of it that drops to Cumberland Avenue and is one of the largest open spaces on the campus. Um, Don't care about any of those things. (laughs) I don't know why I included that. It's talking about what programs are on the Hill. Nobody cares. It's kind of mixed bag. So the Hill, obviously originally known as Barber Hill, was in honor of the daughter of Governor William Blount who the original college was named after. Also, it's really funny you keep saying Blount. Isn't that right? The entire My entire life I've heard that pronounced as Blunt. Well, then someone needs to tell them <laughs> that there's an O in their name. <laughs> I've always heard that pronounced as like it, Blunt County. It probably is Blunt, colloquially, but someone needs to tell me. It's just like Versailles and Versailles, Kentucky. Like, yep. It's a weird colloquial pronunciation of that. Um, so well, I will correct from here on because if I don't, it'll be like a my favorite murder situation. It's blunt. Okay, so let's go ahead and clarify because this will happen multiple times. This happens going to happen in my story. We're going to mispronounce things. Oh God, I mispronounce so. I have a degree in theater and I mispronounce literally everything because <laughs> we're dealing with very similar names, right? From different places, and in some places it might be blunt. Some places it might be blunt. Well, I will correct to Blunt just because you are from Tennessee and they do say that down there. And like it's going to come up. I'm su- I'm surprised you haven't hit me yet when I say Appalachia. I have you said that on this podcast? Because not, not if, on this podcast, but I know I've said it before. Yeah, and I always correct you. Yes, because it's wrong. But <laughs> but not to everybody. But to the majority of people from not actually to, Appalachia. But if there are people there that pronounce it that way, then it can't be wrong. <sighs> so. I'm sorry. Long story it's short, wrong. don't come for us if you think we mispronounced something, because I bet there's somebody that thinks we pronounced it correctly. But if Doug says Appalachia, I will hit him. So, anyway, back to my story. <laughs> um, in the summer of 1826, the trustees of what then was known as East Tennessee College actually purchased that land to build the hill um, for $600. That was a lot of money back then. It was, but I just look at it now and I'm like, $600? Mm, so cheap. I could do that. <laughs> Um, but while excavating, here's an important thing. While excavating to construct the first buildings on the site, they found two forgotten graves. Ooh. Because never do that. Of early settlers who had died before Knoxville had a cemetery. So it was kind of a potter's field at that point. Yeah. Um, so during the American Civil War, obviously, the hill was a fortified position southeast of Fort Sanders known as Fort Byington. Does that sound right to you? I have no idea, but okay. sure. Um, it played a key role during the Siege of Knoxville. And I looked up the Siege of Knoxville. There was nothing relevant in there. Basically, 
the Confederacy just wasn't able to take Knoxville the way they wanted it wanted to. Mm-hmm. And the Union was able to overtake it. Cool. Um, but here's where we care about the Hill on this podcast. Okay. So the Hill has become home to many paranormal sightings over the years. Interestingly, several of these sightings have included large creatures, which I love. I love cryptozoology. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. You do? You've heard this? Oh, okay. Um, so there's a couple different creatures that we're going to talk about in terms of these weird, haunted cryptozoology mm-hmm. type things. Um, one is a wolf, and the other is a cat-like monster standing on its hind legs. Yep. So first, let's talk about the wolf. The wolf has been described as having coal black eyes and long, sharp fangs. And in fact, many people on that campus refer to this creature as the Barghest or the Bargheist. But Barghest was the best pronunciation I found. Um, This name comes from a legend common to northern England, which is weird to find it in what is essentially Appalachia because it is the lower part of Apple. It's like a modern Appalachia. <laughs> yes, but remember that Appalachia was settled heavily by Scots Irishmen. Right, which is what's so fun to find the Bargheist here. Mm-hmm. Or the Bar- Barghest is what I've wanted to say. The big wolf say. thing. Well, I have to say Barghest a few more times. So, <laughs> so um, a Barghest is most commonly a ghost-like wolf who can, in some stories, even shapeshift into the form of a human. Now, I did find a few different references to this where it could shapeshift into other things, not just a human, um, but most of them were you could shapeshift, uh, the Barghest could shapeshift into a human, sometimes a human without a head, which is weird. Yeah. Um, but most importantly, though, the Barghest often serves as an omen of death. Eek. Uh, as, at the passing of a notable person, the Barghest may appear followed by all of the other dogs of the local area in a kind of funeral procession, heralding the person's death with howling and barking. So it's like the Grimm. I was going to say, it is exactly like the Grimm from Harry Potter. (laughs) It is exactly like that. But that's also the Grimm from Harry Potter, the Barghest, uh, any kind of werewolf or lycanthropy. Mm -hmm. All of that is connected to the same like root, it feels yeah. like, because it's all following some same patterns. The um, Hound of the Baskervilles? The, the Hound of the Baskervilles. It's the same, same story, which yeah. that has to be directly oh, broadcast. Yeah. It comes from that. It has to be the same legend. Um, but if anyone were to get in the Barkus way, it would strike out with its paw and leave a wound that never heals. Ew. Now, my thing about this is, do you become a barcast? Like, is it we- that werewolfy? Well, it doesn't say. It's a wound that never heals, though, which could be very mm-hmm. easily a werewolf right. type situation. But what I find is interesting in here is that you're seeing this on a college campus in Southern Appalachia. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. Um, well, yeah, it's Southern Appalachia, even though there's App State, but that's not far from Knoxville. Right. Um, so, besides taking the form of a large black dog with fiery eyes, fiery eyes um it may also become invisible and walk without the sound or walk about with the sound of rattling chains that's not terrifying at all that's very charles dickens yes um so it may also foretell the death of an individual by laying across the threshold of his or her house and like a vampire the barghest is unable to cross rivers hmm interesting 
Yes. Yeah, right? Thinking about, like, a bar guest being kind of trapped there. <laughs> but also, there are dorms, residence halls in, in this this uh, area around what is essentially a quadrangle. Right. But um, the hill, this open space, there are places where it could just lay across the, the door. I'm just imagining, like, yeah, but what if you die tripping over it? Well, <laughs> then it did predict your death. Did it not? It kind of caused it too, though. Uh, potato, potato, <laughs> Appalachia, Appalachia. It's like saying, I predict your death and then shooting you. <laughs> <laughs> but was I wrong? I You're going to tell me I'm wrong? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that is the wolf. That's that's the Barkest story. But the other creature is the cat. The cat-like creature. The wampus cat. Uh you ruined it. I didn't ruin it. <laughs> so the creature, well, let's actually talk about that because the creature has a more local background, obviously, and is often referred to as a wampus cat. And it comes from two different veins of lore or mythology or just creepy nature in general. So one comes from the American Dialect Society from around the the time of the settlement of the college and the, or the founding of the college. Uh, according to the American Dialect Society, uh, Wampus Cat is described as a creature heard whining about camps at night, mm-hmm. um, a mythical green-eyed cat having occult powers, or an undefined imaginary animal. And those, to me, feel weird to me, or weird, you know? Um, and what I wrote in my story was, I think this might just be a whitewashed version of what the name really refers to and what it really came from. Because Wampus Cat is not something that is, you know, very Anglo or very European at all. It is very much indigenous and very much native to this country or this land, rather. Right. So many believe that the Wampus Cat comes from Cherokee lore. And so in Cherokee mythology or Cherokee lore, uh, the monster is the cat-like embodiment of a female onlooker cursed by tribal elders as punishment for hiding beneath the pelt of a wild cat to witness a sacred ceremony. That's oddly specific. It is, but most things were to indigenous people, weren't they? True. They they had answers for so many things that we like kind of wander around. Yeah. Um. And what I think is so cool here is that that makes more sense, mm-hmm. especially since that is Cherokee land. Yeah. Extreme. Like, we're sitting on Cherokee land right now. Oh, yeah. This whole part of the country, like Kentucky, Tennessee, Appalachia in general, like, it's all very much Cherokee. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we know, a lot of the lore that we're pulling from is going to be from that. So this makes sense to me. It, it makes way more sense than just occult strange cat <laughs> which is what the americans are like ooh cat with green eyes oh my gosh <laughs> that's what it sounds like um i was an english major too so i read a lot of dumb stuff that early americans wrote <laughs> uh okay so during the 1920s and 30s newspapers reported of a wampus cat killing livestock in north carolina and georgia like actually reported on it it was published um now this is possibly due to intrusions of coyotes or mountain lions. It, yes, but there's another name for it here. Uh, Jaguarundi. Which, I, it's just a big cat. It's a big cat. It's, it's a, a mountain big, lion. It's what, growing up cougar. in the country, like yeah. I did, 
we just called them big cats. Yeah. Because um, you couldn't be that specific. Um, so the livestock deaths could have been that, but they were attributed to the wampus cat in these pub- publications. And I wrote here that I remember even a few years ago, and you might remember me talking about this, that in my hometown, there were reports of animals being killed by something that many referred to as a wild cat or a big cat. Yeah. Um, and it stirred up a lot of issue where I'm from because the issue with the idea of it being of cat was that the the attacks looked like cats, like the wounds looked like cats, like yeah. big cats. But big cats don't just kill for sport or kill for any kind of pleasure or fun. They kill to eat. That's a that's a big thing about the <laughs> what so, in my head I just went my head went, I just went to Jurassic Park like doesn't want to be fed. He wants to hunt. <laughs> okay, but that's a good point because they don't want to be or hunt. They don't want to hunt just to hunt. Right. If they're going to hunt, it's for food. Yeah. And that's been a known thing about big cats. But there was a big thing in this part of what did I write here? Stirred up a lot of issue because anyone who grew up in any part of the Appalachian region knows that big cats generally kill to eat, yet none of the livestock or horses killed in my hometown were at all eaten, which is creepy. Um, And I didn't even think about the idea of something like a wampus cat at the time because I wasn't very familiar with that. Now Mm -hmm. that I'm reading this, it's exactly what I know. But could this have been a wampus cat at the time? Or, and here's a weird thing. Um, could there be a wampus cat roaming around this college campus on the hill? I mean, there could be. You know, yeah, there could be. <laughs> well, I think it goes back to we've talked about um one of our first episodes. We talked about poltergeist and the idea that mm, those yeah. spirits originate from trouble and stress and are often associated with like adolescence mm-hmm. and. It, from the original, like Native American origin of the wampus cat, that right. also sounds like a troubled. It's trauma, trauma, and <laughs> it's what unresolved do, trauma. And what do college campuses have tons of? God uh, Almighty, so much trauma, so much trauma. So it is totally possible that the wampus cat's almost attracted to that right kind of sense of trauma and unknowing and uncertainty, and walking on its hind legs. That's the other thing about the wampus cat; it's walking on its hind legs. Creepy. I'm sorry. That just creeps me out a lot. <laughs> but that that is the whole thing about the Wampus Cat. I love it. I think it's really interesting. And it's very similar to the Bar Guest because it's also supposed to be an omen of death. So it's an omen of death for dog people or an omen of death for, for cat, cat people? people. <laughs> that was bad, but also kind of accurate. <laughs> so there's one last spirit I want to talk about, and it's... One that it takes the form of a man um, for who, for all intents and purposes, wouldn't necessarily seem scary upon first glance. Well, most men don't, but uh, speak for yourself. No, I'm saying don't always appear scary on first glance. First glance, maybe second glance. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at night, a man has been reported being seen on the hill, either on the steps of Ayers Hall. Or walking around aimlessly along the sidewalks, which I'm going to show you a picture in a minute. The sidewalks are, like, curved, so he's just kind of wandering up and down these sidewalks. So he's drunk? Well, that's what... See, that's why I think it wouldn't seem out of place to me on a college <laughs> yeah, campus. Yeah, it's not going to be out of place to see someone, like, stumbling around. <laughs> like, that That feels like a very normal event. 
Um, so uh, the key things noted for this apparition are that he wears a celluloid collar and a bowler hat. Do you know what a celluloid collar is? Was that like one of the fake shirt it's, collars? Yes, yes, exactly. It's like white, and sometimes it's got a little flap. Yeah, it's like it's like the fake dress shirt collar. Yeah. That they clipped on because... Most dress shirts back then didn't have a collar. Right. It's it's one of those weird things I know from working in theater and having to cut collars off shirts to be time appropriate. <laughs> uh, or period appropriate, rather. But, yeah. So, that is like the fake collar that goes on there. Um, and he also has, you know, a bowler hat. That's important. Um, what might make you avoid him is his strange posture while he's walking. He's been described as walking with his head bent down and his hands behind his back, almost as though he were watching his footsteps as he walked, which again, maybe he's just drunk, you know, maybe he can't walk in a straight line. So he's like really concentrating, but that might make you want to avoid him. And for the most part, it seems that he doesn't acknowledge the students around him. He just walks across the campus, but there are a few who have seen him tip his hat as he passes very gentlemanly, right? Right. Um, so this removal of the hat is said to reveal a hole in his head. Ew. It's been speculated that this is the ghost of a student from the 1930s whose girlfriend left him to marry someone else, leading to his eventual death by suicide. Hmm. Were boulder hats big in the 1930s? I don't know. That That's just, that is the... <laughs> That's what's reported. And I and I was looking at multiple things to corroborate that because yeah. I was like, would it be that or would it be like a fedora? You or you like a pork by hat or something. <laughs> but bowlers, I mean, they've had their they've had their times. Oh my gosh. They're gonna come back eventually, right? I was about to say, just wait next year, bowlers are back. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so that is at least in part the creepy campus of the University of Tennessee. Good old Rocky Top. Okay, so here's a few pictures I want to show you. The first one is like this picture from the 1800s of the hill. Okay. Pretty simple, right? Pretty it's simple. like an old college yep. built on a hill like they all are. <laughs> um, this is another old rendering of that. Uh, I like this one better because it's pretty. <laughs> it's... That big building in the back, which I'm assuming might be Ayers Hall. It is. It's Ayers Hall. Okay. It kind of reminds me of the Tennessee State Capitol. Which would make sense. Which would make sense because I feel like there was some connection. Like, this is digging back into, like, Tennessee State history. That like the in, fourth grade. In, like, fourth grade or seventh grade that they may have shared an architect or something. Oh, I'm sure they did. There was some kind of connection between. Especially since it was called Blunt College first. Right. So, very, very. What did you hear? I didn't hear anything. That light just, like, flickered. Like the the LED light just like went. It's probably because the wiring in my house is weird. Or it's on it. <laughs> Something kicked on. <laughs> and then here is a modern day picture from like 2016, and you can see where Ayers Hall is there. Yep. With the huge, like, I don't know what you would call that center. <laughs> that would be like a cupola. Yeah, it's kind of a cupola, but it's a weird cupola. Yeah. But look at that big open space between all those buildings. That's yep. where all this is supposed to happen. Yeah, that's a quad. It's a quad. With, like the, with the sun dome in the background. I know. Sun sphere. Sun sphere. Not oh, sun dome. Well, I knew what you meant. Yeah. And then all these very clearly, like, I can tell which ones of these are residence halls. Well, yeah. They look like residence halls. But Ayers Hall is not, I don't think. I think Ayers Hall is an academic building. I have no idea. Um, 
but it's just a big space with like a big circle sidewalk. Yeah. Which is what I think is kind of fun because now I'm imagining like a big cat walking upright or a wolf, which again, this is still Appalachia. Yeah, but it's very urban right now. It is very urban, and there is, but also there is a lot of water. Yeah, the, the river is right there. So that's what also made me think it was funny that the, the, the Burgest couldn't cross water. Yeah. I'm now imagining the um, guy in the bowler hat like mm-hmm. walking past the Wampus Cat and like tipping his hat at the Wampus Cat. The Wampus Cat running away out of fear. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you already predicted my death. <laughs> but yeah, so that's in all of my, you know, Wikipedia sources here. And I mainly quoted those for like very basic information and for pictures. Okay. Pictures are easy to find on Wikipedia and they have really good citations yeah. for where they come from. Uh, but some of it actually came from a UTK news article. Uh-huh. A lot of the basic idea, and yeah. then I just expounded on it. Mm-hmm. The basic idea came from a, a UTK article. So they they recognize that the, these are things that are happening on their campus. And what's funny is that is not the only haunting Oh, absolutely not. At UTK, that is just like something I thought was really interesting because it had three different things happening in this quad. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that is UTK. Ooh. Um, no one can see it, but Jeremy's doing <laughs> spooky zombie arms. <laughs> spooky, scary skeleton. <laughs> oh, boy. I want to go back to that gear before the pandemic. <laughs> just people dancing to spooky, scary skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't judge me okay like oh too late too late we haven't podcasted in so long don't judge me don't judge me okay it's your turn yeah you ready to go to nebraska nebraska wait where are you going in nebraska we're going to nebraska wesleyan university oh, okay um which I is w- located in lincoln so it's close to university okay of that's lincoln. where I think that's where uh, my major professor at Idaho got her master's degree. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was like, I know I've seen Nebraska Lincoln on something, so it had to be like her stuff. Yeah. So, but we're actually going to Nebraska Wesleyan University, mm, another uh, Methodist school. It is a private Methodist affiliated university in Lincoln, Nebraska. It was founded in founded in founded founded. <laughs> it was founded in 1887, um, but as of 2017, it has approximately 2,100 students including 1,500 full-time students um, and about around 300 faculty and staff. So, like... That's pretty big. It's a pretty big that's like, small school. I think that's more faculty and staff than we have. Yeah, it's a big small school. Um, but we're going to go back to the 1960s. My fave. Yeah. So... Sorry, I wanted to drink coffee again, and he looked at me for a response. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Nebraska Wesleyan in the 1960s was a typical small liberal arts college. The entire time I've been working on the story, I've been imagining like autumn leaves falling. Yes. Like people walking around with like stacks of books between lectures, talking about like the football game this weekend. I'm imagining like some like blonde hair, blue eyed guy in a like varsity sweater asking out Susie Q. Like very. Okay. Up until that point, you literally described my undergrad experience. <laughs> yes. It was very, like, it seems very picturesque. Yeah. Um, but. And so was the morning of October 3rd, 1963. It was a bright, if not slightly warm morning um, when Miss Colleen Butterball. Butterball? <laughs> Buterball or Butterball? Okay. 
V-A-U-G-H. B-U-T-E-R-B-A-U-G-H. Yeah, Butterball is what I would say, too. Right. Um, And so she was walking up the sidewalk from our office in Old Main, which was originally built in 1888. Oof. So the first building built at Nebraska Wesleyan, towards the C.C. White Memorial Hall, which housed the music department. Yeah. So Colleen had with her a stack of messages for Dr. Thomas McCourt, a visiting professor who was in high demand, not only as a private music instructor, but as a dynamic guest speaker and lecturer. I could never. Right. Um, (laughs) I'm just like (laughs) looking at my CV in my head going, God, could I ever describe myself as such? (laughs) So Dr. McCourt was so popular, in fact, that the music department couldn't keep up with his messages and schedule themselves. So the campus telephone operator would reroute all calls to the dean of the college, Dr. Sam Dahl. Colleen was Dr. Dahl's secretary, and so it was one of her responsibilities was to manage Dr. McCourt's messages and schedule. Oh. Because he was like in demand to like be a guest speaker, to give private lessons, to do all this stuff. Okay. He was kind of like a very public face for the college. So October 3rd, Colleen is taking... A stack of messages to Dr. McCourt. She enters White Hall and takes the few steps up to the building's main floor. Because like most college buildings built at the turn of the century, the first floor was actually above ground level. Always. It's always. always like that. Yeah. So classes just had just started changing. Um, so Colleen wound her way through groups of talking students while the sound of pianos and marimbas drifted through the hallway as the day's first lessons were wrapping up. The exact type of environment you would expect in a small college music department. Oh, Absolutely. Um, Colleen herself and others where they talk about how it was exactly the type of energy and commotion that made her enjoy working on a college campus. And so she kind of smiled to herself as she like heard like vocal lessons and people singing and laughing. And it was just like a very like energetic kind of fun stuff, fun stuff. (laughs) Um, So she was on her way to an office suite in the northwest corner of the first floor of the building. Um, It was a two room complex. The outer area served as a mail room for the music faculty, while a couple of professors had desks in an inner office, including Dr. McCourt. The office held a couple of desks, several cabinets and bookcases that served as the college's music library. Um, so Colleen typically left the messages in Dr. McCourt's mailbox or directly on his desk. But October 3rd was a little different, and the messages would never get to Dr. McCourt. Oh, no. Colleen was on her way. She never expected to see the professor at his desk, as he was almost always working somewhere else with a student or giving him a lecture. The day outside had been so normal and the errand so routine that it was probably even more disorienting than it would already have been when Colleen Butterball opened the door to the outer mailroom. The first thing she noticed was a smell that she would later describe as musty and disagreeable. Just the smell of something very old. Did it have to be musty, though? Everywhere I've read said musty. Every source said musty. I'm imagining like a basement, like a wet basement. I was about to say, not my basement. Like it doesn't actually smell that bad down here. No, but imagine a basement that had been closed up for 50 years. Like it had actually been wet. Yes. (laughs) Um, The second thing she noticed was silence. Utter and instant silence. The instant she stepped through the threshold, the sounds of piano marimba and the voices that had filled the space seconds ago were gone. Replaced by dead muffled silence as though she had spontaneously been struck deaf. Mm. okay keep going (laughs) the third observation colleen made was a blast of cold air she later likened it to opening a window during a winter storm disoriented she grabbed a nearby counter to steady herself and as she looked around 
she realized the furnishings seemed similar, but the atmosphere was decidedly different than it had ever been in that space. Something just didn't feel right. Okay. Colleen looked through the open doorway to the inner office, and that's when she saw her. A woman, tall and dark-haired, was standing with her back to the door, rifling through piles of musical scores in one of the cabinets. The woman was dressed in a white blouse with lace at the sleeves and collars, and a long, dark skirt that just barely skimmed the floor. The woman's hair was wound into a large, tight bun and back with two smaller buns over each ear. The woman didn't turn to look at Colleen, nor did she acknowledge her presence at all, but instead continued to look through the sheet music. In that same time that Colleen stared at the strange woman, trying to determine why she was dressed so out of fashion and figure out who she might be, the secretary also sensed the presence of someone else in the office. Colleen would later describe the distinct feeling that a man was sitting at a desk in the outer mailroom, but when she turned to look in that direction, there was no one there. However, Colleen saw something that disturbed her more than anything else had since she first stepped into the office. Okay. Looking out the window, Colleen was shocked to find that the scene looked nothing like the outside world she had just come in from a few moments ago. Gone was the campus she knew and walked across every day. Gone was the blacktop of Madison Street, the main thoroughfare of Nebraska Wesleyan, replaced instead by a road of packed earth. The recently built sorority house at the end of the street wasn't there, nor was the corner of the Lucas Library that Colleen had regularly seen through this very window on our previous daily visits. Even stranger still was, although October 3rd was particularly warm for an early fall day in Nebraska, Colleen had the distinct sense that the scene she was seen looking outside this window wasn't autumnal at all. Instead, it looked like a sleepy midsummer day with every plant visible a deep shade of green, including the saplings of trees along Madison Street that Colleen had never known to be less than 30 feet tall, but now appeared as though they had just been planted. And then, as suddenly as it had started, it was gone. The mysterious woman vanished, the view outside the window returned to normal, the dank, musty smell was swept away, the voices and sounds of marimba, piano, and singing filtered back in, the temperature of the room moderated back from the frigid blast. Colleen turned and left the office suite immediately, finding the hallway still filled with students walking between classes. It was as if no time whatsoever had passed. Confused and frightened, she rushed back down the steps of White Hall, crossed the sidewalk to Old Main, and Dean Dahl's office. She sat down at her desk and shuffled papers, started to peck at her typewriter, really unsure of what had just happened and what she should do next. She was so visibly shaken that Dr. Dahl walked out of his office and insisted she let him know what had what was wrong. After a while, she agreed she would tell him as long as she didn't he didn't laugh at her. So Dr. Dahl listened um, attentively. Sorry, there is a like. Do you have a gnat? It's a gnat in the basement. In the basement. That's a weird place for a gnat to be. Yeah, but anyway, so Dr. Dahl listened attentively at Colleen's recount of the story before insisting that they returned to the music department to figure out what had happened. He was a pretty rational, like, not, um, a quote I saw was, not taken too fancy. Okay. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> okay, Jan. <laughs> but it was later reported that Dr. Dahl believed Colleen's story because he knew her to be a woman, a woman of calmness and reason who had no particular reason to doubt her. Or he had no particular reason to doubt her. So as the pair left their office in Old Main and walked toward the entrance of the building, they ran into Dr. Glenn Callen, a 1919 graduate of Nebraska Wesleyan, who was nearing the end of his career as a political science and sociology professor. 
Dr. Dahl and Colleen told Dr. Callan the story. And surprisingly, Dr. Callan didn't flinch. Oh, of course not. He, he, he knew. He knew. Instead, Dr. Callan told them that Colleen's description of the woman was almost certainly that of Clara Urania Mills, a professor of choral music who joined the faculty in 1912 and remained at Nebraska Wesleyan until her untimely death 31 years later. So, so she went back in time. We'll get there. So the circumstances of Professor Mills' death reflect the dedication to teaching that most instructors strive or should strive to emulate. Did you just attack me? No, not you, you. looked right at me. Not you. <laughs> so um, April 12th, 1943, found Lincoln, Nebraska in the eye of a late winter blizzard. Okay. Um, however, it's the 1940s, so little snow is no reason to cancel class, right? Especially not in Nebraska. Right. Um, so Professor Mills had fought her way through the storm, walking a few blocks from her apartment to her office in Whitehall. She sat down at her desk, taking off her hat and scarf before suffering a massive heart attack. <gasps> no. She was actually still wearing her gloves and coat when her colleagues found her on the floor a few moments later. Stop it. Yep. Um, so a woman in her late 60s, Professor Mills, had spent nearly her half her life teaching at Nebraska Wesleyan. A large portion of that time, she had held the same office in Whitehall, the one in which she died, which was one door down and across the hall from where Colleen Butterball saw the mystery woman some 20 and a half years later. I'm triggered over here. Like, I'm I'm dealing with this now. So, following this chance encounter with Dr. Callan, Colleen went immediately downstairs in Old Main to her friend Karen Cook's office. Karen was the director of alumni for the college, and Colleen told Karen she needs to know everything she could about Clara Urania Mills, telling her the strange account of her experience earlier that morning in Whitehall. The pair made their way across the office to a row of bookshelves holding past issues of the college yearbook. On top of the shelves was a row of old campus photographs. Colleen stopped dead in her tracks, pointed to the back row of a particular photo, and said, that's her. The photo was from 1914. Oh my god. Karen found the corresponding yearbook, flipped through until they found the photo that matched. The name underneath read Clara Urania Mills. So was it a ghost that Colleen Butterball saw on that bright October morning? Was that the spirit of Clara Mills, eagerly, eagerly searching for a new piece to go over with her choral students? Or was something much bigger at play? No. It, okay, but it wouldn't just be a ghost. Like... Unless she stumbled into, like, a ghostly world. So, the Butterball incident is often cited as one of the most well-documented and well-known cases of a psychic experience on a college campus, and is considered a textbook example of retrocognition. Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. Yep. So, retrocognition is the displacement, is a displacement in time in which one apparently sees into the past to either experience or review events of which one has no prior knowledge, or to obtain accurate information which is not in one not in one's own memory. So it's not like deja vu. No. Because deja vu particularly pertains exactly to you. Like Right. But retrocognition, you would have no way of knowing. Um, it seems to occur spontaneously in everyday life, in dreams, and in parapsychology laboratory experiments. Psychics use it in reading for clients, and it's sometimes called postcognition. So it's the opposite of precognition. Yeah, it, it's the opposite of a premonition. Right. It's... And it's often cited as something that it's not something that would be written down in a book. There wouldn't be a photo of it. It's just a very, usually it's an ordinary day in the life scene. It's 
It's what I teach my students about. It's naturalism. It's slice of life. It's a picture of a day. It's also something we've actually already talked about on this podcast, and you don't even realize it. Remember when you did Gettysburg? Yeah. The professors that got in the elevator, and it opened in the basement, and they saw the Civil War hospital? Oh, yeah. Dude, I've already forgot. I've like blacked out every episode we've done up to this point, I think. So, because I was doing this, I was like, wait, we talked about this. So, um... So when retrocognition happens spontaneously, it can take the form of a vision. One enters a building or looks out a window and instead of seeing the present surroundings, sees how the site looked in the past, perhaps peopled with individuals who seem either real or ghostly. Sometimes such experiences are fleeting and are passed off as imagination, while other times they seem very real and frightening. So when exactly did Colleen Butterball step back to? If we use what she saw at the window as a reference, particularly the absent library, which was built in 1921, Mm-hmm. Along with the presence of Clara Mills, who joined the faculty in 1912, it can be estimated that Colleen had witnessed a scene sometime between 1912 and 1920. Okay. It should be noted the yearbook, um, the photo and the yearbook that Colleen identified Clara Mills in was from 1914. Right. Okay, yeah. So it couldn't have been far from 1914. Right. Or she might have looked a little different. She might have looked a little different. Um so why this presented itself to Colleen is a entirely another another question entirely. Many individuals, both on campus and in the larger community, of course, think it never happened. Oh yeah, I'm sure they're like, no, she's just either she that just... she imagined it or made it up for attention. Um, I did find an account um, in a book, um, haunted. Oh gosh, what was that book called? Haunted universities. No, or... no, no, no. Hold on, got it. Haunted Heritage, that definitive collection of North American ghost stories. Oh, the new one you got? The new one I just got. Oh, okay. Um, That talked about the fact that her and her husband were on the brink of a divorce and actually would be divorced very soon after this. Okay. Um, So those people thought she was either like just, there was a lot going on and so she kind of had a little break. Been there. Or (laughs) that she made this up for attention while all that was happening. I tend to not think that, though. Many, including Dean Dahl and Karen Cook, believe this incident definitely did happen because it changed Colleen from an energetic and outgoing woman to a somber, almost melancholy individual. Hmm. But others argued that the divorce itself was the cause of that. Regardless, soon after the divorce was finalized, Colleen left Lincoln and most individuals at Nebraska Wesleyan reported losing touch with her soon thereafter. Karen Cook would actually go on to research and continue to review the events of this incident until her retirement in the 90s. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this was like a long thing. Um, Conveniently, about a year before she retired, her very carefully cataloged file about the incident disappeared. Mm. This incident's also been studied by multiple psychic institutions, um, parapsychology societies, it has been very widely studied and reviewed. Yeah, but I just... Mm, fishy. Yep. Um, there is one individual that has a more unusual explanation for the whole ordeal, though. Oh, of course. There's always one. <laughs> Remember Dr. McCourt, the professor that Colleen was delivering a message to in the first place? Yeah. So when he was told about Colleen's experience, he was almost unfazed. Like, oh my God, that's happened before. Well, originally from Scotland, Dr. McCourt explained that Scots are typically very open to the ideas of spirits and ghosts, even going so far as to believe they're almost a magnet for such experiences. 
Okay. Well, I mean, there's a lot to be said about that part of the world mm-hmm. um, in terms of, well, A, culturally, they do. They fully believe this stuff. But also, I mean, read up on Ireland alone. But right. like anything in that area is going to mm-hmm. be a little bit magic mystical. Yeah. Um, Dr. McCourt seemed to believe that he had somehow opened the door for such an experience to happen near him. And I'm like, cocky much? I was about to say, that's him just going, uh, it's all my fault. <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> so that's that typical, like, that's that typical professor that's just like, you're welcome. Right. And it goes back to him, like, <laughs> I thought of that with it, like, especially with him, like, being very, like, in demand as a speaker and as a lecturer, yeah. as an instructor. It's like, oh, you're just like an you, arrogant. You SLB. are arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that is the story of Colleen Butterball and retrocognition. Okay. But I like that. Yeah. So, um, do you have a couple pictures? So, this is Old Main, as it looks today. Okay, it's a very pretty building. It is. <laughs> um, very, just, it fits. It fits. It fits. That tracks. Yep. <laughs> this is the only picture I could find of C.C. White Memorial Hall. Um, it's It's been raised. It also looks like every other college building from that time period. It really does. <laughs> like. They were, they were not very original. You know, honestly, because what when did you say it was built? Um... I don't know when White Memorial Hall was built. But it, you know what it looks like to me? It looks very, very similar to VP Henry. Or not VP Henry, but the admin building here on campus at Lindsay. It looks like Phillips Hall. Like, it's that same style. <laughs> what was that face? Everything's the same as Lindsay to you. Well, no, I'm trying to compare it. That's the thing. Yeah. Rude. Anyway, anyway, you don't want to start a fight on the podcast. <laughs> um, and then this last picture is actually a clipping from Nebraska Wesleyan's student newspaper. Um, and so this is a picture of Colleen Butterball. Okay. She is indicating, she's evidently a very short woman. She's indicating how tall it looked like Clara Mills' ghost was. Oh, because of where she was in the stacks of music? Yes. And then this, is, this inset picture is the yearbook photo of Clara Mills. Claire Mills looks interesting with that hair. Yeah, it's a lot of hair. It's it, a lot of hair, but it's all poofed together. Well, it was the early 1900s, yeah. so we'll give her the benefit of the doubt. We'll give her a pass. We'll give her a pass. Um, but yeah, so that is the story. Yay! Wah. This was a long episode, by the way. It was. <laughs> um, But yeah, that is the first episode of season three of Creepy Campus. Let's see how many more episodes we have. Yeah. Maybe I'll kill Doug in the process. Well, if I disappear, Jeremy should be your first suspect. No one can see. I'm I'm playing with the lighter. (laughs) Okay. Um, So we do have some cool stuff planned for the season. Um, I don't. I do. (laughs) I'm kidding. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, But we have some cool stories and some cool ideas planned, so... We're excited. Monster. And we want to share it with you. So connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at CreepyCampusPod. You can shoot us an email at CreepyCampusPodcast at gmail.com. I'm letting him go with this because I've forgotten all the handles because I always say them backwards anyway. You do. Um, And we also do have a website. Um, 
It's a pod page, right? It is a pod page. The easiest way to get to it is just go to Twitter, Instagram, and the link is in bio. Or just Google Creepy Campus Pod. If you Google Creepy Campus Podcast, we are the first result. It, yeah, it comes right up. I did it the other day. I was, I was in a meeting. Of course you <laughs> I should have been doing anything but that, and oh I my Googled gosh. it. But on that website, we'll include links to all of our sources from this episode. Yeah. But yeah, and by that I mean Doug will do that. I will do that because I do the editing so that he takes care of the other stuff. Um, But you'll find all of that, um, including our entire back catalog of episodes. In case this is your first one, you're like, "Ooh, this is kind of cool." Yeah, there's like what twenty more episodes out there. There's twenty more episodes out there. Yeah, you can go back and listen to us be crazy, crazy, crazy. I wonder if you listen from episode one all the way to now, if you can feel the evolution. The evolution of what? My breakdown? <laughs> no, genuinely, what do you mean the evolution? The evolution of, yeah. I, I mean, it does sound different. Yeah. Like, we sound different than we <laughs> did in the first ones. It's just, it's different. It's a different world. It is. Okay. We're going to get off here because we just hit the hour mark on the recording. Oh, gosh. I told you it was a long episode. Ugh. All right, goodbye. Bye.